0: Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today my guest is returning to the show for his second time. Isid from Phil in the Breaks, the Crush Kill Recordings extended family. He's been a friend of mine for quite a long time at this point, And it was nice to have a little more freedom here to not go through his entire career, but mostly focus on his last couple, but especially his new albums and repair. This is Isid.
1: I don't know much about cabins, but this whole room is the shit. I recorded, like, four songs here last year. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: What is this place? I mean, as far as I knew, you were back in New York last few years.
1: Yes. But no, like, right now we're on vacation in Minnesota at my girlfriend's parents' place. Okay. Which is, like, an hour and a half outside the city. I mean, you live in Oregon, so it's much more lush and...
0: Well... You can say that, but I really just <laughs> I really just live in this room. <laughs> I don't when I'm traveling and I come back to all the green and the trees and the the clean air, it's like, oh, that's refreshing, but I don't spend much time outside fair enough. The studio hermit guy, you know,
1: yeah, I mean I am too, I guess, but you know it's like I try to get outside as much as possible,
0: yeah well, I listened back because it's been about. Four years or so since we did this and you were on the show. Right. But yeah, we were talking right around the time of How to Fake Your Own Death. And I think that was the last time that I saw you because a few months later, my wife and I actually went out there and, and oh, um, yeah. you know, we saw you and Lou and you took us record shopping yep. and stuff. And um, yeah, I think that was the last time that we saw each other. But uh, that was a good time.
1: For sure. Um, Yeah, it's been quite the ride, just being there, you know?
0: How has that been creatively? Like, we talked about some of those music videos that you've been putting out for Zen Repair. That was, to me, I was like, oh my god, you just get to shoot in the city all the time. That's so cool, like, whenever you want.
1: Yeah, right? I felt weird, like, coming in and just, let's just use, I'm just New York now. (laughs) I don't know, I, (laughs) I don't think that highly of myself to just, like, plant the flag and just be like yeah one thing that fucked me up moving there is i feel extremely small living in new york now because like really the neighborhoods that i live in are where like the jizza and biggie and (laughs) everybody grew up and so you're like i don't know it makes you it it makes you a little more humble i feel like which i like yeah you know I, i appreciate it but it definitely when it came to shooting the videos mercy's had to like kind of um, nudge me to be comfortable utilizing New York, you know?
0: Yeah. You don't want to feel like a tourist or something?
1: Yeah, you know? And I mean, maybe that's why it took me a while to, like, write new songs. I wanted to feel like I... I don't know. You want to, like, live somewhere for a while and feel like you're a local all of a sudden and just to get a different vibe or energy.
0: Yeah, I mean, on the last interview... We went deep through your backstory and yeah, kind of all the way up until Fake Your Own Death. And so, I mean, with this, we've got a new record coming out, and I felt like we just had a little more freedom where I could just, you know, pick your brain a little bit about, I mean, what has the creative process been, how differently, you know, because you're setting up a different studio, different working space, you know, you're immersed in a different environment and culture all the time i mean when we talked before you had a couple different studios and and you know i've seen a couple of them you know basement studios and stuff that you found were really conducive to to making shit you talk about like blasting shit from the basement loop, yeah. looping those beats and then walking around upstairs and writing lyrics and stuff you know like i mean how has it been recapturing that because from my opinion on the outside you and i as well have slowed the pace a little bit
1: Right. Well, I think for me the first like 2 years of New York I was just trying to figure out how to live there. Yeah. And so then once I kind of did that, it, well, let me back up. When I moved to New York, there was like a few different things that inspirationally were changing where it was like I was just super bored with sampling. Yeah. Just it just got really really boring for me. You know, it just kind of felt like same trick again. Oh, let's do the same thing to this again. And I don't know, I just started to just crave new scary things. And so when I moved there, I would go record digging and get frustrated because I wasn't finding the volume of samples that I wanted to find and and it was more expensive. I just started switching gears and then I started instead of like, you know, buying a chunk of records here, a chunk of records there. I would just save my money and buy different pieces of equipment. Yeah, and so I just started gathering like pedals and synths and just anything really that I could afford, that I could get my hands on, that seemed to kind of like fit with where I wanted to experiment. Yeah, and so it was just like little by little. Those, you know, so the first couple of years, I do, I made a ton of beats that like no one's probably ever going to hear. You know, it's like I had to make a certain amount of beats in order to figure out how to make what I'm making now. It was like, a, if I go back to like Werewolf Hologram area era, yeah, I had gotten my like first microcord. I was experimenting with beats here and there, doing little synths, and I and I had a, some pedals then, but it was much more mistake driven or like, uh, oh shit, that worked, yeah and I would do that, but I would still lean on most of my beats being sample based. And I enjoyed that. But then, and so I always kind of was like, Oh, I really like these beats that I make when they're all organic or all from outboard gear. And it was always in the back of my mind. And then eventually over time I got there and I had to like, really almost make a lot of those kind of beats and just, Set them to the side and just keep making more and more until I feel like I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. No, I I get what you're saying.
0: Yeah, I mean you got to have some growing pains a little bit when you're yeah finding a new direction,
1: which has been really fun. And so like you know, there's shit that people probably ignored. Like I released this like weird beat tape called A Reefer Franklin. Yeah, I didn't really like promote much. I just kind of like put it out there. And those beats were kind of me taking samples and running them through an OP1. And I did this whole project just playing around with like, oh, if I run samplers or samples through this into Ableton with this certain approach, what will I get? Yeah. So I've started to think more in that regard where like my early releases, it was more just like, let's throw everything at the wall and just use the best stuff. Yeah, where now I'm thinking more in like a overall vibe way. Yeah, like I'm gonna use the I'm gonna use this trick for ten tracks. I'm gonna do this specific thing, you know. And so I I really started to get into that too, and yeah, that also involves a lot of growing pains, and you know, a little trial and error tinkering. Yeah, but it's been like so fun, and so I think I had to do a lot of that. But then now where I'm at currently, I feel like I'm ready to release a project a year again or every other year. Yeah. You know, hopefully people will, will want that, you know, but it's like, I can't even be concerned with that right now because it's more for me, it's more about the process and the love. And I just, yeah, I'm enjoying the music I'm making now more than I ever have and feel more comfortable in my skin and for me, it's like, win-win, you know?
0: Well, having not seen you or been around your creative process here on this record, I'll tell you that it translates to the music. Because yesterday, what I did was listen to everything from 100 Smiles up until Zen Repair. And I think that was about probably the fourth time I listened to Zen Repair, because I, you know, I just got it in the mail. But I can hear this arc now when I listen to everything together and there's a certain hunger on the new record like you almost sound like a younger mc on this record um yeah right yeah and i think it's even in the first song that by the time you get to the last verse you know you're cranking up the patterns and the crazy flows you're doing and shit i'm like whoa i haven't heard him do that in forever you know
1: Um, yeah yeah i wanted to bring it back (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could tell when we talked about Werewolf Hologram being sort of a a milestone in that it's, yeah. it's like, okay, this feels like me. This is my sound. You start doing kind of the, the micro-chopped sample yeah, edits, yeah. you know, and, and really coming up with something that is your own. But in listening to that after hearing Zen Repair, it was almost like a time machine. Like, I didn't realize how much the production has grown you know and yeah. like coming into pheromone heavy and how to fake your own death like pheromone heavy feels very loud and bombastic and noisy yeah and yeah, right you know i could kind of tell that you were almost like we talked about like okay i've done this thing you know i've done this kind of kind of chopping so let's dial up the intensity you know um yep. am i am i right on with that record no i
1: think you're right yeah for sure because I was just trying to make bangers at that time but I was also really trying to I was trying to find a way to meld these two different styles that I felt like I had building yeah. you know and I had the one that was very definitive in like the Werewolf hologram style production but then I had all these other beats like I actually have other friends that I've given beats to over the years that like they ended up not writing to certain beats but they're always like my one homie Cadaver uh, from Enemy Anthropist, he's always like, dude, I still got that Micro Machine beat. And it's this like one of the first beats I ever made with a microchord. Yeah. And I just didn't know what to do with it because when I first started making that style of production, they would usually be slower and just different, weirder, noisier, like like almost should have made like an instrumental project, you know, in yeah. like, under a different name for that style. But what I wanted to do was find a way to kind of bring them together. And that's kind of where I feel like pheromone heavy and how to fake your own death was my attempts at trying to bridge the gap between the sounds and meld them together. But then now I just, I realized I needed to just like make a clean break. I was like, yeah. I'll just keep, cause I love sampling too much and it's too easy for me. It's like so easy. I just,
0: you just know the process yeah. instinctively. Yeah, I just
1: I hear something and I just know what to do with it right away. And I felt like I could do that forever. So with the new project, not only did the environment help yeah. in getting me to like cut the cord, but then I just kind of made like a conscious effort, like, no. And then what I started to do too was like little things where instead, you know, Back in the day, it's like, oh, I want to sample some, like, psychedelic stuff or whatever. And now that's how I'm treating, like, keys. Yeah. Like, like song structure. Like, you know, I'm going to make something in this today. And that's what kind of keeps it interesting for me. And then, you know, always getting new pedals and different kind of keyboards to, like, plug stuff in and out of. And just new, like, processes keeps it fresh so it feels like sampling. Because, I mean, that's that's why everybody loves sampling is because you can basically just (laughs) pluck all the coolest shit you want to from all kinds of different tracks, you know? So,
0: well, and my last guest was Max and we were talking about his new record and how part of the reason that it took so long for him was because he decided like, all right, I've done the sampling to death. What if I, learn how to play these synth parts what if i learn how to program these you know kind of like midi guitar parts what if i you know basically he he just kind of re-engineered the whole process for himself and you know was talking about how satisfying that is so i i totally get that all right i know exactly what i'm going to do with sampling there's not a lot of discovery here in this but when you bring in the new equipment and think of, okay, well then how can I process it? How can I do things tonally different, you know, and create kind of a different Sonic palette? I could see how that would be more inspiring.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it's endlessly. And then the new thing too, is like, I mean, even on the record, I have my friend Rafe that played guitar on like, I don't know, nine songs or something. It's very hidden. And then there are certain points where I took parts he did and like made little loops out of them or, you know, reverse that done, you know, different little. So there's still little moments where I'm sampling or I'm taking parts that I played yeah, and then maybe editing that a little bit. But one thing that I, I really enjoyed about the way Zen Repair came together is the bulk of the tracks are a lot of like me just like starting with like a weird like like, some, like, found sound things from the OP-1, Mm -hmm. you know, and finding a groove with that, using that as a click track, and then playing to that, and, like, you know, so a lot of the stuff is, like, loops of live playing.
0: Well, and Um, I think the first text that I sent you was, like, oh, my God, the bass line on Scumbag Accounting. Um, Yeah,
1: nice. Yeah. yeah.
0: That bass line is just insane, and I didn't realize until yesterday when I was looking at the... uh, the back cover are like, oh, that's that's a live bass part. That's why it stood out to me.
1: Well, actually, so Scumbag Accounting, it's actually just Moog base.
0: It says the bass is by DAD or DAD for the bass yep. line.
1: Yep, yep. So that's wh- my friend James. Okay. who was just hanging out at my house when I was making that beat, and he was just like, I mean, this is kind of how my approach is these days. It's like if somebody's around and they want to fuck around. Yeah, let's do it. You know, so I was just working on the beat and he was like, oh, let me try to write a bass line. I love writing bass lines. Yeah. And that's actually it's funny because dad is a reference to my friend James's punk band. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like a, a small little like, hey, what's that? You know, little shout out to dad, you know, even though the band had nothing to do with it. <laughs> nice. I just like doing weird shit like that. Yeah. You know, keep people guessing.
0: I like that you're using a little more live instrumentation. It's cool. And you know, yeah. what you were saying about the random collabs, when I was listening to it last night, I was kind of kicking myself going, "Man, I remember I don't know, the beginning of this year you hit me up and you're like, "Hey, like, you want to rhyme over something? I I've got a bunch of tracks." And I was like, "Man, I I do, but I was just in this soul-crushing job and I couldn't I had no creativity at that time, and uh, I just just thought of that last night when I was going through this album again, going like, "Oh fuck, man! Like, I wish that I would have been in the right headspace to take that on, you know."
1: Well, it's weird. I mean, the album took a lot of turns. There's a lot of revisions. I mean, I've got my bless, bless their heart, but like my friend Derek that did. So my friend Derek Weisberg, he did the like collage that goes there and he did a bunch of those for me is and i think that was in like 2019 when he did those oh wow so like the album you know originally was like i would say half the songs that ended up on post euphoria 3 which i released the end of last year just to like kind of like hey guys i didn't die i'm still here music and also, because COVID, I, I was like, man, people are pissed off and sad. I need to give people just some music to fucking rage yeah. out to. So, originally, some of the stuff that was on that, and then a couple of tracks that made the final version were on Zen Repair. And I had this whole idea to release it in two parts. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do like part of it was going to be like 10 tracks of me just by myself, and then a second version or second part that was going to be all collabs. And that was kind of why I was reaching out to you and I reached out to a bunch of other people, but it's just weird. I mean, trying to collaborate with people through email (laughs) is just not my natural way to do it. I'm such a, in the moment kind of guy. So I feel like I'm not as like forceful or, you know, like, Hey, we should fucking do this. Yeah. Cause I just, it's, I, I feel weird asking people too much or feeling like I'm nagging people to get on songs. and
0: That's what it is, though, because, I, and I've written about this, I've talked about this, but some of the most rewarding and satisfying records are those cool collaborations, but right. musicians are just notoriously flaky, and rappers are so much worse, in my experience, because yeah. I've done both. Like When you get a yes, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. You get it. Right, you get a right. yes, and then that's two months of checking in with this person every ten days. You know, okay, I'll try a text. Okay, I'll try an email. Okay, maybe, and you just kind of hope I for fall, the best. Dude, and I fall
1: victim to it too. I've got like three people right now that I need to get verses. Really? What it is for me, I know already. I know what my hurdle is, and it's not being in a room with someone. Oh, okay. You can ask Graves, man. When I stay with Graves, like. Eight years ago, I recorded like five songs there in wow. like two days. I don't i never heard them. I don't know what happened to them. But like, that's how I work. Like, if I'm in a space with people and we're like, like, there was a song that we made with Graves Carnage, myself, and I think Sarks. Okay. I don't know if he still goes by Sarks, but
0: uh, Guns, um, Gods, Ghosts is what he performs by now.
1: Yes. But yeah, like we made a track and it's because we were all hanging out, smoking weed, talking shit about hip hop. Like, I don't know. It just, like the project I did with AWOL was all done so fast in the moment together. And I really firmly believe that, like, that's how the best collaborations happen. And so, like, what I've learned from a lot of people is the best way to do it over the internet is you kind of have to present a song to someone. Yeah. Like here's the song and and I'm bad at that cuz I'm used to like sitting in a room with people playing beats. Yeah. You know and then you play that one where all of a sudden you everyone's like, "Oh shit."
0: Yeah, you get you, know, you get that like, reaction.
1: And I want that. That's what you want. You know, I don't want to like I don't know, it just feels weird presenting a song to someone like, "Hey, here's a thing that I thought would work for you." And that's always just dangerous
0: cuz I don't know because Let's say 10 or so years ago when I first started reaching out to like other MCs, I was doing The Illusionists, and I learned pretty early on, I'm like, okay, I need to specifically tailor this. Like, if I want that person on my record, it's because they specifically are the best person for this song, right? And so, like, yeah. the first time I worked with Blueprint, we sent him a you know, a song on our Death of a Salesman record that was in the same vein as, like, what he had done with Fuck a Job and some of the stuff on Adventures and Counterculture, and it was just, like, these are things that he has life experience he can bring to that track, right? Or the first song I sent to Kristoff, he said no, and I was really bummed, right? And then, like, a year or two later, came up with something that was much more in his direction, and it was more about turning your life around and positivity and it was more stream of consciousness and i never wrote shit like that and so when it was happening yeah. i was like oh he's the dude right and so i think there is something about you have the idea but then just waiting for the thing for the right thing exactly i mean there's people that i waited years before i ever asked and then when i finally did it was something that that they personally could relate to and go oh yeah 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 i get that i'm in you know
1: yeah for sure
0: you know, posse tracks are fun. It's like oh trading trading bars. But when you get something that's specific enough, I think those are the magic ones.
1: Yeah, right. No, I think you're right. Cause yeah, it's just not my preferred way of collaborating. So yeah. I've I've had a lot of you know, learning lessons. But hey, all that to say, I'm still actually making an album that is like just a bunch of posse cuts in a way yeah you know uh but it won't be connected to zen repair i just want to make it its own thing yeah it just made more sense um and that's kind of what i'll be working on this winter so i've been just like stashing beats and trying to kind of do that where it's like oh this one could work for this person this one works for this person yeah
0: um well send me something again man because i really like the stuff we did on bears and um for sure even, yeah, it was Death of a Salesman that we had you on as an MC as well, and I really like that. I still remember bars from that verse, like, oh, yeah, he really got that record. <laughs> like, Hell, yeah. Um, yeah, man, I'd love to do it. We'll get down. Just because last time we kind of breezed over some things on those last couple records. We did so much early days. Yeah, right. You know, I did want to also just acknowledge some of the lyrical content that we didn't really talk about pheromone heavy i mean it's very closely related to the insane album art in that right it's a bit more of a sexual record like yeah right i'm hearing you talk about stuff that you really are not on your other projects and i think you know if i'm honest that's not my go-to because i'm always just like right. that is hideous wow um
2: yeah yeah
0: but pulling it up again after a long time was like oh yeah yeah this is this is really in its own lane i mean again each one of these projects feels very specifically inspired like in a moment i
1: don't know i was actually thinking about this earlier i think something that i do that an older version of myself now might be like man you don't always need to do that (laughs) but i feel like i would take People's criticisms of my work, mm-hmm. and then I'd be like, Oh, you're gonna put me in this box? I'll show oh, you. You think I'm you're gonna put me in this fucking box? Okay. You know, Hundred Smiles and Running was the first time where I did that. Cause I had I made like three solo records plus SMS and a bunch of other shit, and I felt like I was pretty typecast as like doing like abstract hip hop, you know, like your shit's great, but it's too experimental. It's too weird. Yeah. And so hundred smiles and running, I was going through a divorce. I was heartbroken. I I was like in this weird space. I was in my mid twenties, you know, just like trying to build a label and try to just figure it out, you know? Um, And so I connected with my friend arsenic from Arizona and he produced all of it. And then on that project, my whole goal was to make stuff that was a little more like relatable and understandable to like, you know, someone that wasn't into like subversive hip hop, you know? Yeah. And that was the first time I kind of dabbled with that. And then yeah, and then it's funny because then I like re then then werewolf was more experimental. Yeah. But I feel like also emotional and like relatable. But I had a lot of, you know, that album, it made a lot of noise. But I felt like, you know, there was always that, oh, you need to make some stuff people can, you know, fist bump to. or You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like make some like, I don't know, it's hard to explain, you know, like uh, whatever was popular at that time, I guess, you know, more run the Julesy kind of shit yeah, or something. So I wanted to, with Pheromone Heavy, show different sides of me as a person Mm -hmm. I just felt like maybe that's the better way to say it is a lot of my music is kind of a diary like a lot of what I'm writing is like just me like observations about life and you know different weird narratives yeah um to try to kind of make sense of it all you know I'm just trying to figure it out so with pheromone heavy I was like how can I kind of just show different sides of myself. I'm not just this sad artist, you know? So I wanted to show my funny side more and, like, but I think that it also, rubbed, like, people I were fans of Werewolf Hologram were like, what the fuck,
0: you know, and didn't
1: <laughs> understand that. But then there were other people that, like, loved it, yeah, you know, and got what I was trying to do, and it was, like, a, it was a critique on, or maybe not even a critique, just a study on, like, letting go of adolescence, too. So that's why there are songs on there that are kind of almost immature on purpose, Mm -hmm. you know? You know, there's a song that's like an ode to biking because my whole life I've been pretty adversarial with cars, you know, and it's another reason why I moved to New York because I wanted to live somewhere where I didn't necessarily need to drive all the time, and I just I love biking. I think it's like, you know, it's just one of those things that makes me feel free and alive yeah so that project really i think came out of kind of a lot of that feeling like uh misunderstood you know just feeling misunderstood like like i was took myself too seriously or something i was like you want to see no i don't take myself too seriously i'll I'll put a a four and a half minute song to my dog on this album yeah
0: (laughs) well as i was listening to it last night my wife goes Yo, this guy's rapping about yoga poses on Vinyasa Flow. <laughs> you know, and I was like, Yeah. Yeah, he is. <laughs> there's just something, like you said, about showing off different sides of your per- personality. When I listen back to it, some of it seems a little bit silly, like you said, but it, it, it's almost yeah. a more personal record because on some level, there's less bravado or something, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like removing the layers more. Yeah. Because it's weird, too. I've always been. Like you, like, I love SNL. I grew up on SNL. Yeah. I love comedy, and I, I love just being goofy and making people laugh, you know? And, and for some reason, my music didn't always go that way. Yeah. But, like, I've even had fans, you know, people come see me, and they're always like, holy shit, I didn't realize you were so funny.
0: Because
1: <laughs> I'm always cracking jokes the whole time I play, and just, like, so I've also wanted to try to
0: incorporate
1: that in the music more and that was kind of where post euphoria and pheromone heavy
0: with the skits and stuff came
1: from yeah the skits on that and some people hated that some people loved it so i mean there there was a time when i released all that stuff where people would come to the shows and they would say the you know they would jokingly say the skits while i was playing and yeah i loved that it was so fun it felt like oh man somebody gets it you Mm -hmm. know and now where i'm at with music i feel like even with the new stuff, I I feel like I kind of hung on to a little bit of that. You know, what I'm making now is still, it's pretty, there's a lot of political, social commentary in there, but it's yeah. also like with some lighthearted kind of...
0: Little tongue-in-cheek?
1: Yeah, tongue-in-cheek shit in there, you know. I guess that's always been there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And And writing any music now it's really hard not to be affected by something that's going on around us because it is constant and ever present, you know? Yeah. So oh, yeah, I think a lot of people who didn't necessarily have much social commentary or political commentary are seeing notes of that in their newer stuff just because... How
1: can you avoid it? Yeah. I mean, it's the time, you yeah. know? It's just where we're living right now. And if you don't take stock of what you're witnessing what are you doing? Yeah, You know, like it's almost a missed opportunity as a human to not try to like understand what's happening more and try to share with the world how you feel about it. I mean, it's always tricky with music. Like I've always been a proponent of, um, it's, it's a thin line. Like, if it gets too political, yeah. then I, I personally think it's unlistenable or it loses the replay value. It feels more like, a, you know, something that you appreciate once. Mm-hmm. But if you can make something that's like it's like tapping into it, but it still can live on its own as a song where you don't have to, like, think like, oh, this is a critique about George Bush you know? yeah. <laughs> or whatever, you know.
0: Immortal technique, um, immortal technique.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> so it's a fine line. I mean, it's it's hard. And so I also I also totally like don't shit on artists that aren't being political in their music. Yeah. Because it's not easy to make political topical music that's listenable. Yeah. You know, it just isn't.
0: Yeah, I, I find that firsthand in my experience because the best shit that I have ever written usually comes in some sort of social, political moment where everyone is, you know, spouting these opinions and and I'm just sitting back and watching the shit show like, God, everybody seems to be missing the point here. And so so I'll write these songs that are like in-depth kind of dissertations with historical context and all this shit. You know, and I'll drop it, and I'll be like, "Fucking Chuck D, eat your heart out, man. like that. Like, yeah. wow, I can't believe I just did that and drop it. And like, with the exception of Wildfire, which was my biggest song ever, everything else like that tends to go right under the radar because it's just a lot to ask of people, you know, yeah. when it's yeah. that dense and tense yep. tends to be more fiery and aggressive. And we've talked about that. You're like, yeah, I, I had to tone it down a little bit, you know, because, it's a lot for people who yeah. just want to casually put on some hip hop, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Which is funny. Cause I don't know. I feel like now I'm in a place where I'm like, it, it's weird. It's like anything goes Yes. at the same time. Now, like 2021, it's like, there's really no rules anymore. Like, you know, Oh, you want to like in the middle of your song, just like, go go acapella or not even acapella you just like you know 50 seconds in, you want to change genres yeah and then 30 seconds from there you want to change genres again fuck it go for it yeah like, i don't know it, it's weird I, I could really go down a rabbit hole with this but i feel like <laughs> there's less and less reason to hold on to anything or to like with albums like people don't have attention spans for albums so it's like just release tracks you know your wildest experiments and just see what sticks, you know, as long as it's not shitty and it's something that you can get behind, it doesn't hurt you to just like kind of share whatever you're working on. Yeah, You know? And yeah, sometimes it's not going to hit. Sometimes you might be a little too crazy or off the cuff, but there might be somebody down the road. That's like, that's my favorite song. Definitely. I'm all about that shit. Yeah. You know,
0: Well, and How to Fake Your Own Death, that record seems like also a very deliberate, almost slowing down. Yeah. And going a little more introverted. Obviously, you know, you had some grief in the family that you were processing through this record, but in a way, that's probably the most. I mean, you said some of these songs are like your diaries at the time or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's maybe your most grounded record.
1: Yeah, probably. So it's actually interesting a lot of how that started was it's so like the tempo of the Werewolf hologram title track is yeah. 73 bpm. Yeah. And I was starting to realize when I made that like oh I really I really like these songs in this tempo there was something that I felt like I could do vocally that I couldn't do on on like a 95 bpm tempo. Yeah. And so I kind of remembered that, but you know, I did, I did two projects that were more like in that 90 to a hundred range that are really fun to rap to. Um, yeah, man. I kinda so, always thought that- in the back of my mind, I want to do something down tempo. Mm-hmm. I want to play around with that. And so that's what, how to fake your own death was. Everything is down tempo and
0: yeah, it's very consistent.
1: Know, yeah. You know, and And so it's like more sing songy and like just just different things that I wanted to explore, you know. And then in hindsight, it's like people that know my music were more used to more variation in tempos. Yeah. And so then again, Zen Repair is a total reaction to that Mm -hmm. where I was like, okay, I made this down tempo headphone record. Now I'm going to speed it back up and bring the energy again. And that was kind of, so part of why it took longer with Zen repair as well was a COVID and B me realizing that I needed to keep, like it wasn't ready when I thought it was ready. Yeah. Cause I still had songs that were down tempo. Like let this be a lesson to any artist out there. Like you, you try a thing and sometimes it can like infect you longer than you think. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even mean that in a derogatory way, but for How to Fake Your Own Death, it's like, all right, we're gonna make a down-tempo record, but then I just kept making down-tempo shit for, like, a year or two after that, and it took a while, and, like, one of my friends was like, yeah, you know, I was playing them early songs, and he was like, yeah, these are... They're good, they're chill. It's weird, they're, like, chill, but they're not, And, and I just realized, like, oh, I'm still too much in that vibe, and so I had to just keep making stuff, and then... Then the spirit animal of Zen repair became hundred BPM. Yeah. We're just gonna we're just gonna ride that shit. So I just started making tons of beats that were in the hundred BPM range. And oh my God, it was just so fun. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why when you hear it, you're saying, Oh, it's like you're a, a new rapper again, mm-hmm. like you're hungry again. And I think it's because I just forgot how much I enjoyed just writing raps to yeah. like that tempo beat and just wilding
0: out, you know? Yeah, I totally get it. That's been kind of the bane of my existence of like starting, more or less, starting with The Illusionists and the stuff that Webb was making being up tempo break beats. And then from then on, when other people would give me beats, I'm like, it's so slow, you know? Oh, right. <laughs> like, I like the sounds you're using, but when I, start to imagine how I would flow to it, I get so bored so fast, right? Unless you've got some like mic drop kind of bars that you're going to say to it, then it's like, I'm not excited by that. I want to hear, you know, I want to construct a pattern that after I write it, if I'm just like in the shower zoning out afterward at the end of the day, I can imagine my verse as like a snare drum rudiment and go, oh yeah, that's really exciting rhythmically by itself with no words, you know? Right. And I've had that feedback from people before where they're like, hey, what do you think of this? Or, or, you know, you do a verse for somebody. I've had people say something like, oh, yeah, that's like perfect Sammy Warmhands. That's like classic Sammy Warmhands or something like that. I'm like, I don't want to be fucking repeating myself here, you know? And so you'll sort of like you'll have those go-tos and then someone will kind of put a mirror up and you're like, oh, I do that too much. And so I like this record in that it does embrace that, but it's not like, oh, we're doing 100 Smiles again. It's one of those late era records after you've made a bunch where you can hear a bit of everything in this album. And that's what's cool to me about it is, when I say it sounds like a younger, hungrier rapper, it's sort of like we have nods to everything that makes you, you.
1: Sure. Yeah. It's cool to hear that because I've had other people say the same thing. Like other fans be like, Whoa, dude, it's like, there's a song from every record on this. Yeah. Um, And that wasn't really intentional. It was just, I was super focused, especially in the like, the final stages of just making this like kind of just driving album that just kind of keeps hitting, doesn't let up. Yeah. You know, it's the shortest album I've ever made. I think it's 35 minutes, you know, 13 songs, just like get in, yeah, kick some ass and get the fuck out of there.
0: You know. I, I love that. I was just telling abilities, like that was a trend I noticed from firstborn to the newest solo record. Everyone is shorter than the last. And I was like, as a punk rocker, I absolutely love that when it's just direct, get in, get out, and then I might want to play it again. You know, I I like that. Yeah. As opposed to going, man, how many songs are left? You know? Yeah, holy shit. This is
1: like (laughs) (laughs) by listening to the new Kanye album and you're like 11 songs in and you're like, oh my God, there's an hour left.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's like all those uh, early, mid 2000s albums that had like, you know 22 tracks and eight skits and i'm like man guys just
1: yeah because everybody was like wow we can put 80 minutes on a cd yeah (laughs) fill it up boys
0: totally totally
1: filter what's a filter you don't need no just give them everything you got kiddo
0: yeah (laughs) like do any of those producers still like produce records because man (laughs) you're supposed to be the one to refine this shit
1: right I mean it wasn't until I started pressing vinyl that I became very cognizant of about about time length. Yeah. Cuz the public doesn't understand how expensive it is to press double vinyl.
0: Yeah. That's you why I've never done it. twice. I've never I've you never pay. been able to afford vinyl at all cuz it's so fucking much money for the quantities that I sell. I'm like there's no way I'm ever going to recoup that.
1: It's ridiculous. So, so to like, double it you got to keep it at 45 minutes or less if you want to just do a 12-inch, you
0: know? I was just reading an interview this week with Jello Biafra, who I had on the show end of last year when he was dropping his new album. And what I didn't realize, he said in this new interview, that on the vinyl, it's short two songs. Oh, yep. Because it didn't fit. And so he had to just cut two songs. Or he said that, You know, because you can technically put more music on there, but it's going to really just tank the sound quality. And so he's like, yeah, we we cut out, you know, the two middle songs on the record. I'm like, I love those songs. I'd be so mad if I spent two or three times as much on the vinyl and then didn't get all the songs.
1: Right. Yeah, it's shitty. That's why you just got to, like, make shorter projects. Yeah. That's where I'm at, at least. But I understand, like if you make a project and it just happens to end up being like 16 fire songs that make yeah. sense together maybe you just mm-hmm. do it in two parts or something i don't know
0: it's- yeah so a couple songs i want to point out here that i i really enjoyed mind control for sport and that's yeah yeah and that's control with a capital t r o l l yeah 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 you know we talked about just being inundated with information all the time. Like, did you sit down and set out like, man, I really just need to get this off my chest. Cause it kind of feels like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's one that I made at the lake last year. Like, so I I basically made that song, whatever heals you camp Hoffman and scumbag accounting. I made those all at this lake during like the throes of COVID and just trying to hide out and recharge. And that specific song I wrote from the perspective of an algorithm
0: that's nice. basically
1: trolling everyone, you know? Yeah. And so I, I kind of play around with it. I think, you know, the first verse is from my perspective, like, like, you can't catch me. Yeah. Like algorithm, I, I, I'm on to you. And then, you know, the second verse is directly from the algorithm. That's why I say shit like uh, it's OK, caveman. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I've got to figure it out for you. We've got all the best things. You know, yeah. and, and so that's just kind of what I was playing with, because that's you know I love writing songs from odd perspectives, yeah, and just seeing where it leads. You know,
0: did you see that Bo Burnham Netflix special?
1: Yeah, it's got a little really bit good.
0: of that, like "Welcome to the Internet," dude. You know, like
1: yeah, yeah, where it's sort well, of because yeah, the beats kind of like I have some weird like found sound drums that are I don't know I probably like took a bucket and threw it at a wall. I don't know, (laughs) you know, to make the like sound. And then I played it off of this guy. Yeah. There's some guitars in that one too, but it is, it's very digital sounding. And so it fit. It was like, Oh, once I figured out that hook part. Yeah. You know,
0: I dig that a lot. And then, you know, obviously right now you're back in Minnesota. I imagine burning cop cars was inspired by everything that went down last summer,
1: A little bit of that, yeah, for sure. And just everything. I think that one, what's odd is that beat is an early beat that I kind of forgot about. I mean, I made that beat in like, I might have made that beat in 2018. Yeah. And it was originally called Burning Cop Cars. (laughs) And like, perfect. And it just was sitting there in my folder. Eventually, at some point last year, I was really pissed off. Yeah. It was around the election, actually. And I just recorded it kind of on a whim, like both verses just went in on it. You know, it's just like taking what's being thrown at me and sending it back out in as many different ways as I could think of about how I felt just about what was happening. Yeah. Basically, societal collapse or something.
0: It's a crazy (laughs) time, man. In a
1: lot of different ways. Yeah. But what I actually, one of the cooler things for me as as someone that's just a nutball about Sequencing albums. Yes. So that song and 1-800-Zen Repair purposely are the first and last song because sonically I felt like they had this Distorted synth, the evil distorted synth kind of thing to like, kind of just bookend the project, you know?
0: I do the Um, same thing because even with my punk band, I'll think about, okay, this starts in this key that ends In the same key. I want to make sure of that so when it's over maybe you want to play it again and my cd player in the living room is broken so i'm playing through the stereo on my dvd player and it has this fucking auto repeat thing and so when i listened to this record it did start over and i thought wait isn't this the first song because yeah yeah they do flow right into each other perfectly i second guessed it for a second you know
1: Yeah, because then I forget there's the whole like outro synth part on Burning cop Cars, which oddly enough, I like forgot I recorded it. (laughs) When I was finishing the song, I had my collaborator friend Rafe who played the guitar parts in the hook. And there's actually a guitar in the verses too that's kind of like hidden in there. I was working with him and adding all these layers. And then I was at the back end of the song like trying to figure out how to arrange the outro.
0: Yeah.
1: And I found this whole, like basically that whole synth part is just like a freestyle that I had recorded one night that I just kind of (laughs) forgot. And so I was like, all right, perfect. That's how I'll end it.
0: Oh, done.
1: (laughs) Oh, I did this. Okay. Like I just make so many beats that a lot of times I forget. It's not that I'm like some scatterbrained, weed head like roaming around just like oh i just
0: oh i fully get it too
1: much shit to keep track of it
0: as the uh, the straight edge producer in the room i can attest right. to this that when i am in the early stages of making a record and fast forward a few months and sometimes i'll forget enough of it that it feels like i'm listening to someone else because I have right. literally no recollection of making this, and I don't know what I'm going to say next. <laughs> and it's really weird, but there is sort of an early to midpoint of making an album where I'm starting to see what songs fit together and go, oh, what's this one? And you pull it up and be like, yeah. What? Oh, that's cool. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're
1: like, what was I? Wait, huh?
0: Like, who is this guy? I, I, I should listen that. to him. He's good.
1: Yeah, he's cool. <laughs> Let's get them on
0: a show. I also like what you said about just the title of the beat inspiring it because, you know, when you've written this many songs on this many albums, inspiration can come from anywhere. It's really cool to me when someone will send over a beat and it's called something, and all of a sudden I just see that phrase and I go, oh, that's the chorus, you know? Sometimes it's just built in like that's what the song needed to be all along. Dude,
1: it happens. It happens a lot. (laughs) I do that a lot more than you'd think. Really? It's kind of funny, yeah. Because all my beats, I always come up with some odd name when I make it, and sometimes it'll just stick. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to look. Is there any other ones on this one? Elusive Zen was definitely the name of that beat. Really? Yeah.
0: Single-use friend. That made me think of Fight Club. Interesting. No? No. Oh, okay. When he first meets Tyler Durden on the airplane, and he's like, we've got our single-serving drinks and our single-serving blah, 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 and like, you're my single-serving friend. Oh, sick. And so I immediately thought of that scene when I heard this song.
1: Yeah, I didn't even think of that. That song is written from the perspective of a plastic straw.
0: (laughs) Okay, perfect.
1: Like a plastic straw at a bar. Yeah, it's just a whole critique on consumerism. Yeah. And so that's why like, we shot that video at the ocean. And it's just like subtle references. Because again, you tell somebody, oh, this songs written from a perspective of a plastic straw. They look at you like you're a fucking crazy person.
0: Well, no, I'm glad and you say like, it. It's a little bit, like you said, for me, who's very straightforward and first person all the time. I don't know what you're talking about sometimes. Yeah, I'll pull out key phrases, like, I mean, not to the extent of Aesop, but I mean, when I listen to something like that, like certain lines will grab me and be like, oh, that was great, right? But if you ask me what this verse is about, I'm like, I don't, you know, yeah, I don't know, to, it yeah. sounds cool. And so I like some of the context that you're giving it.
1: For sure, yeah. No, it's, it was a song that I wanted to write for a while, and it was like, it's one of the later ones that I made. And I was kind of festering on the idea for months. And then it wasn't until I made that beat, it just all of a sudden, like, that's usually what happens for me. If I get like a, one of these kind of like more out there ideas or perspectives that I want to write from. Yeah. A lot of times I have to like internalize the idea for a while and then just eventually, if it's a good idea, it reappears.
0: Yeah.
1: And I write it in like a couple hours or something and it's just done.
0: I've had one in my head for, like, the better part of a year now, and I'm like, oh, one of these days, it's going to come out.
1: Yes. I love that about songwriting, though. It's, like, such a – there's a song on Pheromone Heavy that was like that, too, uh, Watch It Burn. Yeah. I had that idea for a while, but it, like, took some time before it revealed itself.
0: you got to find the angle sometimes, you know? Yeah. Are you one of the people that sits down, you know, every day at this time – make music or are you one of those wait for inspiration to strike types
1: i'm more of a mess yeah for me it's like i think i'm regimented in the fact that if i don't make any music i am unbearable to be around yeah i need that creative outlet so like that's why i always say i just make so many beats i fucking forget about this or that you know and so a lot of times I force myself to show up to make some kind of beat and I'll do that. Sometimes it'll be months where I, ha- I don't write at all, Yeah. but I just keep making beats. And then eventually I'll make one certain beat that makes me write to it instantly. Yes. And then once I do that, then I start writing to all the other beats I've been making. So that's why sometimes some beats will be two or three years old and I'll, I'll write something to it. You know, it's strange.
0: I've sort of learned that about myself as a writer, because again, I don't make the majority of my beats. And so when people send me tracks, if I like it a lot, that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) if i like it and instantly my brain starts thinking of patterns and what would complement the beat that's a keeper yep but otherwise yep. i don't want this thing sitting on my hard drive forever that you could have been using for something else because i like it but yeah. i don't i don't know what to do with it you know right so
1: it's the trickiest thing i mean i have so many beats that i think are better than a lot of the beats I've ever released. Yeah. That for some freaking reason, I just couldn't write a song to them. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those odd things about like the artistic process is like, yeah, you could have the most amazing, perfect soundscape in front of you. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it might not connect with you as an artist in that moment. And so it's sometimes you just have to recognize that, And let it go, and be okay with it.
0: So here's a question. You're a beat maker, and I don't think any of your albums just have an instrumental intro, outro, interlude, anything like that. Is that something you would consider on a beat that you really like, but you don't necessarily have the words for?
1: For sure. I did that on the Red Beretta album has, I think, two instrumentals on it. And werewolf hologram has a song that i think originally was going to just be an instrumental but i added like a really simple um it's like track seven Eh, i'm forgetting the name uh incredible i think that one is really open i consider that more instrumentally or even like honestly that's what a lot of what i was experimenting with on how to fake your own death because there's a lot of sections of where the music just goes all over on it. Yeah. But to your point, I would definitely consider doing that with like those really good beats that I'm just like, fuck, I don't know what to do with this. It's got seven different parts. That's what I do sometimes. Sometimes it just makes stuff. That's just way too complicated. It's great, but it just doesn't fit a rap song format, you know, like, they end up being more like... Uh, like It almost feels like it could be a Bonobo song. Do you know who that is? No. Or, or Bonobo. I don't, B-O-N-O-B-O. He's like a really popular trip-hop producer. I guess trip-hop's probably not even the word, but like electronic. He's on that label, Ghostly. But like, I make a lot of stuff that I feel like would fit in that more like instrumental producer realm yeah. sometimes. So I mean, it's hard. It's like... I think a reason why I haven't gone full like instrumental album yet is because whenever I release stuff that is instrumental based, no one gives a shit. Yeah, and so I just realized like, huh? I guess people they want the whole ESID. Yeah, <laughs> and I enjoy that. I'm like, I love the art of writing raps and songs just as much as I love the production side. Like I, yeah, I just want to engulf myself in all of it. So. When I'm in my fifties, <laughs>
0: I'll
1: be like the guy showing up with just like a bunch of weird little like modular synths and yeah, I'll probably be called like Mongoloid Taco. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, I'll just be the guy the button pusher.
0: Okay, on well, stage in like 15 years, then <laughs> I'll I'll call you on that and be like, hey, you said you'd stop rapping.
1: Yeah mongoloid taco was
0: it last question before i let you go here when you moved out to new york at least some of that inspiration was the music you were making with lewis logic called toy friend yeah i got to see him briefly when we were out visiting with you are you guys still uh seeing each other working on stuff
1: well he's got a child now and a whole other thing okay he's like writing a book. So we just kind of let it just chill. yeah. if it comes back, I'm all for it. Yeah, you know, like if not, it was a, like a really fun not experiment, but just project to like work on and grow from. yeah because that project really inspired me to go further into like music theory and further my journey into that. So you know, and that again is another down tempo thing. Yeah. So I was, like, doing all these down-tempo things. And we had a couple other tracks that that we made that are just kind of sitting, you know. But I know he's been, like, writing some raps here and there again.
0: Yeah. I think he played a, a rap set somewhere I saw on Instagram. Yeah. I was like, oh,
1: shit, it's happening. Yeah, with Chesky and them, yeah. So, I mean, as artists, you're always going to kind of evolve and do different things. And, you know, so it's it's up in the air. Yeah. But you never
0: know. Well, you I look forward know. to whatever you got up the sleeve next. I want to just briefly say congratulations. It's been 15 years of filling the brakes. Yeah, man. And next year you've got 10 years of Werewolf Hologram, which is, you know, a pretty yeah, big that's pretty crazy milestone. So uh, just looking back and, and listening to everything yesterday, I was like, oh, wow, a couple pretty big dates coming up. That's really neat. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's nuts. It's been a wild ride, man
0: all right that is our show thank you guys so much for listening i can't believe that we made 92 episodes here on the take 92 podcast that's pretty exciting uh we've got more up the sleeve the rest of this season we're going to return to you with chesky ramos from fake four so stay tuned for that i'm going to play you out with a song from the new album zen repair this is Isid mind control for sport
2: My mind's a never ending loop of second guesses. How much would you pay to stay eternally present? My mind's a never ending loop of second guesses. I keep a flip phone zipped up in a distant zip code. Can't escape it, be citizens, bitch mode. Disco ball in the kitchen, religion for schizos. Used to flip O's, now a flip flows. My mind's a safe house for the strange and deranged out haunting each and every impulse. The skin cringes as a sin sulk, it's a blissful vintage, filling your limbs' pulse. Best of luck exploiting my interests All you're gonna find's a booby trap Pinterest I'm all in on this off the grid shit Don't call again, I'm not talking politics Bunch of loser of the month club alumni Thinking they're street smart More like Budwise Bloody eye bandit lusting for dumb highs Go get a couple six packs and come by Are you susceptible to mind control? One click in your mind at home Are you susceptible to mind control? One click in your mind a home. How much would you pay to stay eternally present? My minds a never-ending, loop a second guesses How much would you pay to stay eternally present? My minds a never-ending, loop a second guesses It's okay, Cade man, the game's on All you need's a fresh spray tan Conceal those feelings behind some Ray-Bans We thought of everything, we dialed up escape plans to your limited skill set sit back and chill keep swimming in pill sweat You sing already happened made prisons and silhouettes chisel dicks out of dog shit and killed the rest so go ahead and bang your chest and scream gibberish nobody gives a shit as long as you give them clicks who needs god when you got netflix trust our suggestions for the best of the bestest for your request we put a hex on today's hopes gotta make way for the latest in fake hope one man's scam is another man's scapegoat don't forget your cake bro are you susceptible to mind control One click in your mind at home. Are you susceptible to mind control? One click in your mind at home. How much would you pay to stay eternally present? My mind's a never ending loop of second guesses. How much would you pay to stay eternally present? My mind's a never ending loop of second guesses.